Hi, everyone, and welcome to Discussions on Concussions podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Coombs Renwick, and happy February. For the entire month, we will be donating 21% of our proceeds from our shop to Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center Traumatic Brain Injury and Concussion Clinic. And I am thrilled to introduce today's very special guest, Dr. Matthew Burke, a cognitive neurologist and the director of Sunnybrook's TBI program. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Burke. Not more than happy to. I would first like to start off by asking you to describe to our listeners what the Traumatic Brain Injury and Concussion Clinic is all about. Yeah, so um, Sunnybrook is one of Canada's largest neurotrauma centers. So we see um, patients from really all across the province that are sometimes, you know, helicoptered in or, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, through a community um, emergency room. And our clinic um, focuses on seeing patients uh, with either concussion or mild to moderate traumatic brain injury um, uh, with a focus on, on supporting our trauma program and, and, and the uh, kind of patient's internal there. Um, and it's a growing clinic in terms of right now, um, we have some uh, kind of interdisciplinary support, but we're really looking to boost that in the future. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, I'm a cognitive neurologist and uh, I, you know, I'm not the typical cognitive neurologist. I did a lot of training in neuropsychiatry as well. Um, but my, my core training is as a neurologist. And so um, I see patients with um, a variety of symptoms that I'm sure you're all very well aware of after a concussion or a traumatic brain injury. And we do our best to try to uh, improve uh, improve function. And unfortunately, um, there's not that many good evidence-based treatments for concussion and traumatic brain injury right now, um, but we can still do our best to treat some of the symptoms. Um, and uh, in addition to seeing patients, we have multiple different um, research projects that we're trying to to uh, get off the ground. Obviously, there's some uh, certain projects are kind of in a pause state because of uh, the pandemic, um, but we have lots of different streams of research where we're, A, trying to better understand what factors are really driving um, why certain patients, why the subset of patients might have very prolonged symptoms after a concussion, whereas others, you know, might, you know, have all the same symptoms, but they resolve in a week or two. Um, why that happens, I think, is an extremely, extremely pressing question for the field. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and then once we understand what populations might be at uh, particular high risk, trying to have targeted interventions uh, for them across a wide variety, whether it be, you know, from, from different um, medication options to, you know, neuromodulation or brain stimulation to education. Um, so, um, yeah, we're, 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 um, we're kind of, you know, still um, kind of at a at a phase where we're looking to expand and and, and meet the, the you know the growing needs, um, but clearly there's still lots of work to do in this space, both in terms of clinical care, in terms of research, in terms of education. So um, yeah, it's an exciting time, but it's it's a busy time. What's one um, symptom that you've found? that is constantly reoccurring in a lot of patients? I know each case is always very different, but what are some symptoms that 
usually are always popping up with with different cases and patients? Yeah, so, um, you know, there are certainly common core constellations of symptoms after a concussion, um, whether it be um, headaches, cognitive difficulties, or mental clouding, as, as you brought up at the beginning, um, uh, <laughs> mood dysregulation, so anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. irritability, um, insomnia, uh, dizziness. Yeah. I would say that those are really the the core four or five symptoms um, that I see um, and uh, mm-hmm. that we're well aware of, uh, you know, in this space. And, you know, the really unfortunate, tricky thing is that while, you know, those symptoms are endorsed frequently by patients with concussion, they're also very common general symptoms in different contexts. Um, uh, and so right. it can be hard to tease out what might be due to the concussion driving those symptoms versus other factors. Um, so for example, I also see patients, you know, with different neuropsychiatric disorders and someone who has a history of chronic migraines or chronic pain and is yeah. also slipping into cycles of, you know, their pain, keeping them from sleep, leading them to have insomnia, leading to kind of mental clouding the next day. You can see how interwoven and complicated it can get um, uh, with yeah. trying to delineate what symptoms might be from what sometimes. But, you know, clearly, um, you know, in patients who have had a head injury, that, you know, that constellation seems to be quite frequent. I'd also add kind of sensitivity to light and sound is also something that, you know, either accompanies the headaches or, or otherwise. And, um, and so, you know, we, we try our best uh, to treat symptoms uh, where we can. Really, unfortunately, most of it is, is not treating the underlying process uh, that probably led to um, the symptom in the first place. Right. It's more of, um, unfortunately, you know, symptom-based or Band-Aid-esque um, uh, treatments, whether that be, you know, uh, uh, analgesic medications or antidepressant medications. Um, uh, and um, yeah, you know, I would say that, you know, my biggest thing that I can highlight about symptoms and concussion is that, you know, they're really interwoven and um, vicious cycles can occur quite quickly. Um, and so, for example, if you are having bad post-traumatic mm-hmm. headaches, um, then you might have difficulty falling asleep because you're having these headaches, right? And and then, you know, you have these cycles of headaches, lack of sleep, and, and, and probably the pathophysiology or the mechanism of lack of sleep actually worsens the state that's driving the pain or the headaches, probably having to do with cortical excitability dynamics you don't quite understand. It's actually a very vicious cycle. And then you throw in kind of the anxious lead up now to, okay, now I need a really good sleep, you know, because if not, I'm going to, you know, be kind of uh, useless the next day or have worse headaches. And so then you throw the anxiety component in, which probably acts on the similar brain networks. And, you know, you can see how things can quickly spiral out of control um, in these post- prolonged post-concussive states. Um, it's really not easy for a lot of patients, I see. No. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we're working on on different strategies to break those cycles, but um, uh, it's certainly complicated. Yeah, I can't imagine studying the brain and all the hard work and research that you've put into your career, because for me, just living it 
and trying to understand it. And I've, I've now had six concussions. So each concussion has been very mm-hmm. different. And of course, the latest is, has been the most severe. But it's funny for me to even pinpoint mm-hmm. certain symptoms and, and anything that might have been similar to the last one or not. And so for somebody trying to study it and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, you can't just open up somebody's brain. <laughs> you can't just see what's going on mm-hmm. in there. And the fact that everybody is different and how they've all maybe like face their injuries there, there could be somebody that, you know, the typical, they got a concussion through hockey or there could be somebody that is 60 years old or even 16 years old that hit their head really hard getting out of a car. So <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like on your yeah. side trying to pinpoint all of that and treat everybody. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you really hit the nail on the head there. It's a, it's a very heterogeneous field um, with mm-hmm. varying mechanisms of injury, varying severities of injury, varying pre-morbid states, we call it. What was the brain like going into the injury? That right. probably has a huge impact on uh, what the kind of end outcome is or what processes get kind of in motion, what someone's brain is like going into the injury. And so all these factors make a complex soup, which is really difficult difficult to disentangle. And as you also mentioned, we can't see the injuries very well yet or at all, right? Yeah. We can rule out um, more severe injuries with structural brain imaging scans. And, but the functional disruptions in the brain, the changes in activity, the changes in connectivity that are probably driving some of the symptoms and the kind of network dysfunction, I would call it, we don't have the ability yet to, in a given patient, see this in a meaningful way, yeah. in a way that we know how to interpret Um, We can take a group of patients with concussion and a group of healthy people and see, you know, clearly different patterns emerging in their brain in terms of these functional changes. But we don't have the ability yet to take a single patient and put them into a functional MRI scanner or a functional scanner and say, okay, we see this and this we know is attributed to the concussion. And and don't believe someone who tells you they can yet because it's it's really (laughs) – the evidence isn't there yet. And so I think it's, a, you know, that will be really the critical kind of step when we can get that objective biomarker, whether it be a brain scan or a blood test that allows us to, to understand this at a level, because we already talked about how complex the symptoms can be. Yeah, exactly. And now one thing that I would love to know too, is for me, I had my first concussion about 10 years ago, maybe longer. (laughs) It's all blurry now. Mm -hmm. And it is crazy. The the things that I've not only heard, but been told by healthcare professionals from the first concussion of what Mm -hmm. to do to Mm -hmm. now that Mm -hmm. that has been so (laughs) different. And I know that that research in the past 10 years, let alone like I imagine five years, (laughs) maybe even less, has um, has been such night and day. Um, have you really seen seen that throughout your, your research and your studying of it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm not going to pretend like I've been ar- around as a clinician for that long. I'm still early in my <laughs> uh, career, um, relatively yeah. speaking. Um, but, you know, I've been doing research in concussion since uh, my medical school time, which was a, you know, a fair number of years uh, previously, mm-hmm. and absolutely, it, it's it's um, it's changed so much yeah. um, in terms of advice, 
education, mm-hmm. knowledge, um, both in medicine and in the public. Um, right. I actually did a uh, one of my first research papers in concussion was with Charles Tatter, who's a very well-known uh, neurosurgeon uh, who really has been a pioneer of concussion and injury prevention in Canada. And we were looking at medical school education in Canada. Um, again, this was in my medical school. I'm not sure exactly what year that we published this, but essentially there was like no medical education being provided in medical schools across Canada on the topic of concussion. There was like a lecture here and there at some of the schools. It's really uh, wild to think about how far we've come now. You know, I'd be fairly confident saying it, it it's it's um, it's being taught um, more. Again, I can't yeah. comment. I think uh, uh, Charles did a fo- follow-up study at some point. But, um, you know, our understanding, initial management, our understanding of the entity itself, you know, at least we're getting the word out there more. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, um, our understanding of exactly what's happening hasn't uh, really dramatically changed uh, in terms of the underlying mechanism or pathophysiology or that breakthrough, you know, biomarker that I said hasn't unfortunately happened yet. I think we're getting much closer, but mm-hmm. it's not there yet. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to hear that too, because I have a very good friend of mine is in med school at U of T right now. And I remember mm-hmm. when she texted me and she's like, Rach, we're talking about you essentially right now. We're we're learning a little bit more about concussions. And I was like, oh, that is mm-hmm. great. That is so good that that you know that's slowly becoming more of a thing to to talk about, not only in the community, but in med school, as you said, that that's a very, very nice thing to hear as someone that that suffers in and everyone just trying to either bring more awareness to it, for instance, like this podcast, or mm-hmm. just trying to to study it more and kind of pinpoint what these amazing brains are capable of and what happens when a slight bump to the head kind of jars them and causes all these different symptoms. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It is, it is really changed. And I would even caution that, you know, there's you know, almost some, not misinformation in the wrong direction. Obviously, there's so much more awareness, which is so critical for this field. It went from something that wasn't really talked about. Athletes were not, you know, acknowledging it or really engaging in this field at all, really, to, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a good state in in terms of better awareness, better protocols. Um, But I am concerned a little bit with, with, you know, some of the miseducation that comes with inc- almost too much uh, concern and awareness. So I've had patients, for example, who didn't even ever have a head injury who are getting diagnosed with a concussion because, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, the, the symptoms of concussion are um, – are not are, are not that specific. You can have headache or fatigue from a variety of different causes. And I right. actually had a patient once who was diagnosed with a concussion because they had symptoms, this constellation of symptoms. But then when I was asking them, they never actually had a head trauma and it was just a, you know, you must have <laughs> had trauma sometime because you're having these symptoms. But no, that, you know, that's really, um, oh my you, know, goodness. you know, something where, you know, kind of funny in that regard. But clearly there has been, you know, 
extra awareness about something, but not in the right, in the proper, you know, full extent of uh, of understanding oh, uh, things. So, you know, it, it's something where uh, we'll find the the, the, the right <laughs> sweet spot uh, hopefully soon. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's still a bit of a mystery. Yep. Um, and we're still, you know, really working on getting the the correct messaging out and, you know, the different guidelines in Ontario and Canada are, you know, are doing a great job. And it's just about proper dissemination and, and, and making sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like Google's a problem with that because yes. <laughs> everyone now when we're sick is like, oh, well, I have these symptoms. Yeah. I'm going to Google it. I'm dying. Yeah. No, <laughs> and exactly. I even know on bad head day, I've had that moment where I'll ask my Google home and I'll say like, I'll just be like, oh my goodness, this has to be more than a concussion. It's such a bad day. I bet I have a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And so I'll ask Google, what are the symptoms of a brain tumor? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she'll say everything. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I totally have that. Yeah. And my husband will be like, hey Google, what are the symptoms of post-concussion? Yeah. And they're like the exact same. Yeah. And he looks at me like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. And yep. now Google wants to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And Google, Stop. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, no, that's good. We we had a Google Home, but uh, we we got rid of it. I think I can't remember what exact show we watched on uh, Netflix, but it sufficiently um, uh, kind of spooked us into thinking <laughs> that Google is listening to us all the time. So we put that. Yeah, there's. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well, to wrap things up, what is one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is suffering from post concussion syndrome? Yeah, I would I would say that the most important piece of advice is though, you know, you might have really bad days and you might feel like it's never going to get better. It, it's mm -hmm. that, you know, in the end, most of these symptoms, or at least our understanding of these symptoms, are due to, you know, functional disruptions in the brain you know, having to do with circuits and networks that are disrupted. And just like they like they can become disrupted, they can also become undisrupted, you know, become mended and don't give up hope that slowly going down these cycles, as I mentioned before, they can kind of uh, perpetuate one another and think that, oh my gosh, you know, I have dementia or I have a, something that's never going to get better because the, it is complicated, but the majority, the vast majority of patients after a concussion do eventually make a recovery. Yeah. And, you know, some people might have some lingering symptoms. They're still functionally able to work, but they still have some lingering symptoms. But, you know, I, I see a lot of patients that are very anxious and think that um, they're never going to get better. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and they get caught up in a lot of these kind of different cycles that I've been discussing with you on the podcast today. But just to emphasize that these circuit problems can get better. And, you know, we're still working on understanding why certain people that yeah. symptoms tend to linger more and different ways to intervene on uh, people who are in that kind of prolonged state. Thank you for that. I think that's that's really important um, because everyone has those days and it's really nice to just whenever I talk to anybody who I, I go to for treatment and they're just like, it's okay if you take one step forward and one step back, you know, it's, it's not a straight lineup for recovery. It's important that you just take one small step at a time and you focus on doing what's, what's right for, for your brain, for your body. And, and it's, it's kind of grasping that hope. That's, that's really important to, to hold on to. Cause as, as you said previously, you know, anxiety and depression can come 
with with post concussion syndrome, and uh, then all of a sudden you're you're dealing with the physical and then the mental aspect. And I think in order to get the physical better, having a more stable mental perspective um, is, is really important. Absolutely, and it's all interwoven. It's all you know neurotransmitters, neurons in the brain that are literally you know millimeters away from each other interacting. You know the psychological and the physiological are, are, you know, there's, there's really no material divide between them and they, they're really uh, intimately interwoven. And so absolutely, yeah, you can see how uh, easily one can get into trouble when things start going sour in, in one of both those directions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It has been an absolute treat to have you on and to not only talk about Sunnybrook, but to talk about just post-concussion in general as well and, and your mm-hmm. time with it. So thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. And remember to rest that head of yours.